All right. Everybody glad to be here? I'm glad to be here, too. I'm thankful. Thankful for our desire to be here. I had a sister the other day ask me, if um, if somebody were to come to me and try to use Romans chapter 14 to defend the dietary laws, how would I defend it? How would I explain Romans 14? And while my answer could have been short and it could have been subtle, I don't think that it would appease most people. And it definitely wouldn't appease probably the people that are asking her, what about Romans 14? And so, however, we should be able to give a subtle answer. We should be able to give something, an answer like Yahweh says not to eat things that are unclean, and that'd be the end of it. We shouldn't have to go into long, lengthy detail to tell somebody, you know, how Paul can or cannot manipulate the scriptures or, or however you stand there. We shouldn't have to do that. That should be enough just to say, Yahweh says not to eat anything unclean. That should be good enough. But knowing this is not enough for most Christians. I told her that I'd write a paper on Romans 14 and explain why it doesn't negate any part of the dietary laws, but rather it's just a misunderstanding by most Christians of Paul's, Paul's writings. And uh, most of his epistles are like this. Most of Paul's epistles are, are they're centered, they're, focus, they're focused on one, one thing. Paul's answering either a question or he's dealing with something that's going wrong in one of the churches or something like that. That's usually the way the epistles wrote. It's, it's intended one way, and most people don't understand the intention, and therefore they miss the whole context and the concept of what he's saying. But we should never enter any part of the Bible without knowing the audience, the setting, the time, the reason for writing, the culture, and so on. And because this is a common mistake, we have a lot of misunderstandings, such as the one we're going to deal with here today in Romans 14. With that being said, let's read it, and then I'll give you my understanding of the chapter, and I'll leave it up to you to decide if Paul's doing away with the dietary laws. It shouldn't matter to us what the Scripture says. It, it shouldn't have anything, it shouldn't have any bearing on us what the Scripture says. We should read it, and whatever it says, we should believe it. And if we've got a problem with it, we need to work that out with ourselves, and we need to try to understand what we have a problem with. But when we read the Scriptures, if the Scriptures say something and we understand it correctly in its context, you know, the way it's supposed to be understood, we should just accept it. And we should learn to love it because we love Yahweh. But um, let's read Romans 14, and then I'll pray, and we'll start through this thing verse by verse. <clears throat> Romans 14. Accept anyone who is weak in the faith. But don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because Yahweh has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another's household slave? Before his own master or Lord, he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person considers one day to to be above another day. Some, someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it to Yahweh. Whoever eats, eats to Yahweh, since he gives thanks to Yahweh. And whoever does not eat, it is to Yahweh that he does not eat, yet he thanks Yahweh. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to, li came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Are you, or you, 
why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Almighty. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to the Almighty. So then each of us will give an account of himself to the Almighty. Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another, but instead decide not to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord, Yeshua, that nothing is unclean in, it, in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. But by what you eat, do not by what you eat, do not destroy that one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of Yahweh is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way is acceptable to the Almighty and approved by men. So then we must pursue what promises peace and what builds up one another, what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down Yahweh's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have faith? Keep it to yourself before Yahweh. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. <clears throat> All right, I want to take it a few verses at a time. We'll go through one, two, three, four, something like that. I'll group them together. But... But uh, I want to kind of get a little bit of context here. We didn't read all of Romans, and so we're just going to start in one chapter. And, and um, this is kind of a continuation in writing. We break it. It's broke up in chapters, but we need to understand that. So, so if you ever get a chance, go back and read all this together. It makes a whole lot more sense when you read it as a book and not as a, not as a chapter or a paragraph or a verse or something like that. But we'll start in verse 1. It says, Except anyone who is weak in the faith, what does this mean? Who is someone that's weak in the faith? If we consider the times of Paul's writing to the church in Rome, it helps us to understand what's going on. And during this time, there's a lot of converted Israelite people that have, that have come into the faith that are living in Rome. And they were strong in their faith. And there also were some Romans, there also were some Romans who were coming into the faith. And then there were, some, there were some that are coming into the faith that were coming out of pagan cities and surrounding, surrounding Rome. And, and uh, these people were used to sacrificing to foreign gods and, and uh, having idols and being involved in pagan temple worship. And so Paul's, Paul says this. He says, accept everybody. Anybody that's coming into the synagogue that wants to learn, that wants to be a, a follower of the Messiah, accept everybody. These people were undoubtedly struggling with past issues of meat, Offering to pagan idols. I think that's the problem right here. While this meat is clean meat, it was probably a meat that was used to use in pagan worship. So if they ate it, now as converts, it would probably bring back memories of service to another god. This also was a problem with the people in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 through 9. Let's, uh, let's look at that. I, I taught a message on 1 Corinthians 8 a while back. On I think I went through 8, 9, and 10, but... It may have just been uh, 8 and 10. But it, I think the same problem was taking place with the people in the church at Corinth. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians 8, we'll start in verse 4 and go from there. 
1 Corinthians 8, 4. Paul says, about eating food offered to idols, then we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for, the, yet for us there is one mighty one, the Father, from whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, through whom are all things, and we through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not make us acceptable to the Almighty. We are not inferior if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. These people had a problem with eating meat. And it wasn't it wasn't a problem with eating swine's flesh or anything like that. They had a problem eating meat that they had previously sacrificed to a foreign god. And they're coming into the faith and they they're they're wanting to follow Yahweh. And yet when they sacrifice these animals that are clean, they're clean animals, but they when they sacrifice these animals, it it may bring up old memories of what they may have you know, served another another God with. And so uh and so it's it's it, it becomes a problem. And he says, Don't don't pick on your weaker brother right here. If he don't if he don't want to eat the meat that he used to sacrifice to another God, he doesn't have to. It's it's not mandatory that we eat meat. Paul's telling the people in Corinth that just because they had the right to eat meat and that an idol means nothing, that not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some people are so used to idolatry that by eating this meat their conscience is defiled because they are weak. Are young in their faith. Paul also says to be careful that this right of yours is no by no by no way becomes a stumbling block for your brother. This is why he says to accept everyone, even the one who does not eat meat. He also says in verse four, "Who are you to criticize another? Because before his own master, our Lord, he stands or falls, and stands he will." And that's in Romans fourteen four. If Yahweh brings a person into the faith, whether eating meat or not. We don't have the right to judge his lack of faith. Here's an example. I made an example up. I kind of put myself on a pedestal here, so y'all bear with me. <laughs> it went, when Abraham came out of the Ur of Chaldeans, he was a, he was in a sinful state. His father served pagan gods, and and he and he come from that. So when he come out of the Ur of Chaldeans, he was in a sinful state. But Yahweh chose him to be the father of a great nation. Now suppose I was already a believer. And Abraham came to me, and he said, how should I walk in order to please Yahweh? He's a new convert, and he comes to me, and he says, what should I do in order that I please Yahweh? And I told Abraham, you keep his commandments. You do all that's written in the law. Believe in his only, and believe in his only son, and he'll be pleased. <clears throat> then Abraham might ask, well, what, what in the law should I do? Well, I would then explain to him, you must keep the, you got to keep the Sabbath days, the feast days. You need to love your neighbor. You need to train your children to do the Torah. You need to eat of the clean animals. You need to not shave your beard. You need to wear your tassels. You need to pull your neighbor's ox out of the ditch. You know, you need to refrain from idolatrous worship, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. And I would just go through the commandments. If he was asking me, I would go through the commandments. You would just read the Torah, but if he didn't have one, then that's, this is how I would explain it to him. And so let's just say Abraham starts to keep it. He starts keeping the commandments. But one day he comes to me and he says, "You know that cow that you all eat? Well, we used to sacrifice that cow to Baal. Now I know you said that we could eat meat, and it's a clean animal. You said we could eat it, 
but you also said not to have any other gods before me, or before before Yahweh. <clears throat> Man, I lost my place. And if and if we used to sacrifice that meat to Baal, and everything that I if every time I sacrifice that cow, it makes me think of a time that I used to sacrifice it to Baal. Then should I not stay away from sacrificing the cow to Baal? in order to please Yahweh, because I don't want anything idolatrous in my life. If, if Abraham comes to me and says that, what Abraham's, not, what Abraham's doing is not sinful by any means, but rather it's righteous. He's doing that which is holy to Yahweh. He's, he's, doing, his, he's doing his best not to offend Yahweh. And so Paul says to accept people like this because they're not, these are not things to argue over, and he doesn't want to eat meat. If he doesn't, he doesn't have to eat meat. If he doesn't have to, he, if he doesn't want to eat meat, he doesn't have to. The same mighty one that chose you has also chosen him, and he'll make him stand or fall. And there's no need for your judgment. So while some might, while some might use this to argue that the dietary laws are abolished, it really has nothing to do with clean or unclean meat, but rather clean meat that either is or is not eaten by choice. <clears throat> Let's read verses 5 through 12. Yeah, excuse me for stumbling around. I wrote notes, but I'm, I'm struggling with them. So, Verse 5. One person, consider one, day, one person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord since he gives thanks to the Almighty. And whoever does not eat, it is to the Lord that he does not eat, yet he thanks the Almighty. For none of us lives for none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of the Almighty. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to the Almighty. So then each of us will give an account of himself to the Almighty. These verses these verses also have have been used by non law keeping churchgoers, evangelists, theologians alike, for proof that no day has significance or a higher position over the other or the Sabbaths and feast days are abolished. However, I'd like to give an understanding to the verses that leave the rest of the Bible intact and it doesn't destroy any other verse and our our days stay intact here. During the time of the Messiah and the early church, there were several different sects that participated in in and around the temple complex. There was a Pharisaical sect. You talked about it last, Matthew talked about it last night. There's Sadducees, a sect of Sadducees. There were the Essenes. The, the the apostles were a sect in their in their self that they were called the apostolic sect. They were they were a group of people that served in the temple. They preached all kinds of doctrines amongst themselves and for their individual sects, but more importantly they taught their traditions. Maybe not the apostolic sect so much, but the Pharisaical sect definitely and the Sadducees the same way. They they didn't just teach the words of the Torah, but also the traditions of the elders in their sect. Now, some of these people believed and taught that they should fast for a couple days a week, and some believed fasting one. Some believed that you should fast on the first and the third day. Some people, some 
some sects thought that you should fast on the second and the fifth day. I believe that this is the issue at hand right here in verses 5 through 12. And I think Paul's dealing with it. Let's look at the verses again with this mindset. I want you to think about it. We're going to read back through 5, five and 6 again, but I want you to think about it like this. If there's a Pharisaical sect over here saying, our, our patriarchs say that you're supposed to fast on modern-day terms, Monday and Wednesday. And then the uh, the, Apost- or the Sadducees say, no, you're supposed to fast on Tuesday and Thursday. And the apostles say, well, it doesn't matter when you fast, okay, because that's kind of what they said. And then the other, let's say the Essenes said, no, you have to fast one day a week, and it has to be on the Sabbath day, all right? Keep that in mind. That's kind of what was going on there at, the, at this time. And now let's read verses 5 and 6 again and see if it makes sense. In verse 5 it says, One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Almighty. And whoever does not eat, it is to the Lord that he does not eat, yet he thanks the Almighty. Makes sense? What, what the Pharisees are telling them, hey, you have to fast this day, or the Sadducees are saying, hey, you have to fast this day, and Paul's saying, look, it doesn't matter. Whatever day he decides not to eat, he does that to Yahweh. And whatever day he decides to eat, he does that to Yahweh. It doesn't matter. We, you shouldn't judge a man whether if he fasts on Monday and Thursday. We shouldn't be judging him saying, well, you, you know, we can't welcome you. You don't, you don't fast the right days. That's, that's not for us to judge. If he, if he fasts to Yahweh, let him fast. It doesn't matter what day he does it. Paul, Paul says some, Paul says some things. Some think that their days are faster and better than others. He then goes on and says, whatever we do, we do for Yahweh. We either live or die, but we don't do it for ourselves, but for his glory. Christ died for the dead and the living. So why do you look down on your brother? Whether he eats meat or don't, whether he fasts on the first and the third or the second and the fifth, who are you to criticize that? We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Yahweh. And then he quotes Isaiah 45:23. He says, as I, as I live, saith Yahweh, or saith the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to the Almighty. And I think Paul quotes this right here just to, just to prove that you don't have to answer to anybody here. There's a vertical repentance that we're, that we're working right with, and, and one day every knee will bow and bow to Yahweh. It, it won't be to the man that judges a pharisaical sect or, or Sadducees. It's, it's not those that you have to answer to. All right, let's look at verse 13. It says, Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another, but instead decide not to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. Paul here admonishes the people that we're not to criticize, but rather help our brother up and, and not to trap him in, with, with some sort of stumbling block. It's, it's the whole idea of, I think, most of all Paul's writings is, is the idea of love and brotherhood. And um, we're, we're to love one another. We're not, to, we're not to criticize and throw somebody down, but rather pick them up. If you see somebody stumbling, hey, help them up. We're, we're not trying to beat somebody over the head. Look at verse 14. This is in quotation marks in the HCSB, and I'm going to read it out of the HCSB. I don't know what you're reading, if you're reading it. King James or whatever. I don't know exactly how to read in your Bible, but I'm going to read it out of HSB and then I'm going to elaborate on it. In, in my Bible it says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Yeshua that nothing is unclean in itself. 
still to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. All right, red flags should fly up everywhere with us. It should, they should just go up everywhere. Anytime we see the word unclean, we think of something that's really unclean. A man that has a, a disease, that's unclean. A woman at a certain time is unclean. Pork is unclean. Shrimp is unclean. Catfish, we know the dietary laws. We should all, all know them, okay? Um, this, this should be a big red flag because he says, I am persuaded by the Lord Yeshua that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Well, what's Paul talking about? Is a buzzard not unclean? Sure it is. Is a pig unclean? Absolutely. Sure, sure they are. But, but, the, but this is proof that he can't be talking about unclean animals, but rather clean animals becoming unclean. Let's look at Leviticus 11, verse 7, and then I'll explain my point. 1 through 7, we'll, we'll read all of it. If you brought your Bibles and you're not familiar with the dietary laws, I'm just going to explain some of it. This will be a fine time to look at it. I think most everybody in here probably is, but there may be some that aren't. <clears throat> Leviticus 11, <clears throat> verse 1. Yahweh spoke unto Moses and Aaron, spoke, spoke to Moses and Aaron, Tell the Israelites, you may eat all these kinds of land animals. You may eat any animal with divided hooves, and that choose to cut. Two criteria. They have to have divided hooves. These are land animals. They have to have divided hooves, and they must chew the cud. These are two criteria. But among the ones that chew the cud or have hooves, you are not to eat these. These animals have hooves. They might chew the cud, but they won't have hooves, or they might have hooves, but they won't chew the cud. And these are, these are the animals. And this is just a short list. The criteria is chewing the cud and having hooves. So if it's not mentioned here, and it has hooves but it doesn't chew the cud, we don't eat it. <clears throat> the camel, though it chews the cud, it does not have hooves. It's unclean for you. This is the word that Paul used in Romans 14, 14. We just read it. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have hooves. It's unclean for you. The hare, though it chews the cud, does not have hooves. It's unclean for you. The pig, though it has hooves, but it does not chew the cud, it's unclean for you. All right, that's just the very beginning part of Leviticus chapter 11. You keep on reading all the way through Leviticus 11. You get all kind of dietary laws of what we could and should and shouldn't eat and what we can and can't eat. However, the word there used is unclean. Now, Paul says in Romans 14, 14, if you go back to Romans 14, 14, I'll give you a second to get back there. He says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Yeshua that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Well, that's a direct contradic contradiction to what Yahweh says. He says, this is unclean to you. So we know that that's unclean. The problem is the translation, at least in the Bible that I have. The word that was chosen, unclean, comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is koinos. Koinos, if I'm saying it right. K-O-Y-N-O-S, if you spell it out to say it. And I think it's, it's actually spelled K-O-I-N-E-S, but it should be pronounced koinos. The Greek word is koinos, and it means common. So what the verse should say is this. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Yeshua that nothing is common in, in, in itself. Still to someone who considers a thing to be common, to that one, it is common. And Paul's right. 
Nothing is common in and of itself. Beef is not common until it touches something that is unclean like pork or shrimp. When it comes in contact with something that's unclean, it then becomes common. You have two different categories. You have a category of common and a category of unclean. Unclean something that is, is declared unclean by Yahweh. Okay? Pork, shrimp, shellfish, lobster, all these things are unclean. We, we're not supposed to eat them. However, beef, goat, deer, antelope, things like that are clean. But if one of these clean things touch something that is unclean, it then becomes common. And that's what this should say right here. It should say, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Yeshua that nothing is common in, its, in itself. Still to someone who considers the thing to be common, to that one, it is common. Beef's not common until it touches something that's unclean like pork or shrimp. Or if it has been sacrificed to an, to an idol, it becomes common. This fits the context of Romans 14. We don't have to change the context. If it's the context of Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, it becomes, it becomes common. This fits the context also because we're dealing with new converts who are confusing clean meat with old rituals and sacrifices to pagan gods and struggling whether or not, whether or whether or not to eat it. Let's read verses 15 through 18. <clears throat> For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. By what you eat, do not destroy that one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eaten and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way is acceptable to the Almighty and approved by men. So if your liberty of eating meat, clean meat, causes your brother to stumble, then just eat vegetables with him. There's no there's no reason to cause him to stumble if he doesn't if he if he's offended by maybe something that you eat. It's it's not worth it. Your liberty of eating meat's not worth causing him to stumble. Don't let your liberty or right to eat meat destroy the one whom Christ died for. And if and in this way your goods not slandered because because the kingdom of Yahweh is not eating and drinking, but rather righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look at the word righteousness right here in verse seventeen. Paul says that the kingdom is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness. This word righteousness signifies obedience to the Torah, and if the Torah says not to eat unclean, then we're not to do it no matter what. But we're still not to argue over what to eat or whether or not to eat meat or not because that's not what the kingdom's all about. But if, but if it says the kingdom, this is the kingdom of Yahweh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, well, that's, that's right doing. Things that are right, that's righteousness. Let's look at verse 19, and we'll go through 23. So then we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down the Almighty's work because of food. Everything's clean. But it is wrong for a man to cause, cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have faith? Keep it to yourself before the Almighty. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his, his eating is not from faith, and every, everything that is not from faith is sin. I want to, I want to make a point. I may, I may be kind of cluttered right here. I want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm not, I'm not saying that all meat is clean or all meat is permissible to eat. But the meat that they're talking about here is clean meat. 
He's not dealing with an unclean meat. He's talking about clean, clean meat until we get to the common part. The things that these people are sacrificing are, sacrificing are clean, clean animals. Paul says in verses 19 through 23, he says, Let's promote peace, not contention, and let's build one another up. The discrepancy over food is not worth tearing down Yahweh's work. All things are clean to eat that which we're designed to eat, that are, that are designed to be eaten. Remember Leviticus. Not shellfish, possums, pigs, buzzards, shrimp, stuff like that. But it's wrong for a man to cause his brother to stumble in what he eats or drinks. If you have faith in knowing that eating clean foods is okay, but another man is scared of doing so, then encourage him that it's okay and educate him on what's clean and what he can't eat. And if you can't do that, then just keep your liberty to yourself. We don't, we don't, uh, if we can't encourage a brother, let's don't, let's don't beat him up. You know, never let a liberty, one of your liberties get in the way of, uh, of somebody else's weakness. It's, it's just not worth it. My final point is this. We should never let our own selfish ambitions or freedoms that we possess stand in the way of our brother's converse, conversion because of his weaker, younger faith. Let's have compassion on weaker brothers and help bring them along instead of criticizing them for being weak. Always remember that your love for your brother should be greater than any liberty that you possess. I think this is what Paul's saying. Not that we shouldn't judge between what food we should eat. And we shouldn't we, not that we shouldn't judge between what food we should eat, but rather we should judge our brother for the food he doesn't want to eat. Shouldn't judge our brother for the food he doesn't want to eat. Whether or not Christ cleans all food, food at the foot of the cross is not even a question in Romans 14. That's not even that's not even the question. But rather building up the saints and promoting peace among the brothers in the the new brothers in their faith. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way, he's acceptable to Yahweh. So as we as we close, I don't uh, I I hope I made my point clear. I did that for I did that for somebody else. I wrote this wrote this paper for somebody and I just decided to teach it because I was asked to teach. Paul makes this point to several churches. It's not just to the to the people in Rome but but also to the Corinthians, they had the they had the same problem, and so um, all he's saying is just because you got a liberty of eating meat, don't don't choose your liberty over the downfall of your brother. Let's don't let's don't do that. It's it's kind of like this. If I have a this is a little bit different, but this is a way that you could use a liberty over uh, over your brother's well-being. If I ha- if if I think, and I think probably most people in this congregation think that it's okay to consume alcohol, all right? And I don't know that they do or not, but even if you don't, I believe it's okay to consume alcohol. If I if I believe that it's okay to consume alcohol, I believe the Bible teaches it. And uh, and I want to have a drink, then I think I can have one. However, if my brother has been an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic, say he's been one for four or five years, and he's coming he's coming off of alcoholism, and he's been going to meetings and this, that, and the other, and he comes over to my house and. Just because I know it's okay to drink, I set two glasses out on the counter and ask him, you want a drink? All I'm doing is causing him to stumble. I'm causing him to fall back into the sinful state that he was already in. He was a drunk. He was a drunk. And instead of promoting peace, I have the liberty to drink. I can drink. It's okay. I believe it's okay, you know, scripturally. And I have that liberty to pour myself a drink. But if I if I do this in front of my brother, knowing that he's trying his best to quit and get away from it because it's been a stumbling block for him, and because he's he didn't just he he possessed the liberty to drink, but he took it too far into the to the state of drunkenness and stayed that way, and he just become a drunk. 
Now, if I pour him a glass, I took my liberty, and I used it as a stumbling block in front of my brother, and I caused him to fall. And I think that's what Paul's saying here. Look, these guys, they've been sacrificing these cows or chickens or whatever they have to Baal for 25 years, okay? They're living out here, surrounding cities around Rome, and they and all of a sudden they're converts. They've been they've been converted into to um, Christianity or or what have you. They're believers, and they and they come into the faith and and um, they want to start serving Yahweh. And so they they go over to another brother's house and maybe he's killed a lamb or something like that and he's going to eat it. Maybe he's eating the Passover or something like that. And maybe he kills the Passover, you know. And they say, man, I. We used to we used to sacrifice lamb to Mullock, you know. I think the Passover might be a little different issue, but let's just say it was just an evening evening meal. And he says, uh, he says, man, we used to we used to sacrifice lambs to Mullock. I can't I can't partake of that meat. And I, and I say, man, it's it's clean to eat. You can eat lamb. And uh, he said, yeah, but if I if I eat of that, it may make me think about some you know some old worship rituals or something that we used to go through. I shouldn't beat him over the head and say, "Look, man, you're you're a Christian now. You can eat you can eat this stuff. You can eat this. You don't you can eat lamb and all this stuff's clean food. You can eat it." But he says, "Man, it's going to make me. It's going to cause me to to think about some some old worship and it, and and it may bring up some some idolatrous thoughts in my mind." In that case, I've just thrown a stumbling block in front of my brother. I'm causing him to stumble back into what he come out of, and that's not a that liberty that I had to eat that lamb. That that's completely okay. I have that liberty, but not, but not to use, not to use against somebody. And um, I think Paul was dealing with it the best way he could right now. Don't don't take your liberty to tear down what Yahweh started. Yahweh's done this, and and uh, and Yahweh will make him stand or he'll make him fall. Whether he's eating meat or not eating meat, Daniel didn't eat meat. He wouldn't eat the king's meat. He says, take away the meat. We don't want it. Whether it was clean or unclean, he wouldn't eat it. We don't know if it's clean or unclean, but he wouldn't eat it. Nonetheless, Daniel didn't need meat. So was Daniel a weaker brother? Absolutely not. He wasn't a weaker brother. And, if, and if, even if somebody is a weaker brother, they choose not to eat meat. That's their option. That's their option. There's no commandment to eat meat. Except for one day, you have to eat a little bit of it. Anyway, I hope that helped. And uh, I hope it helped maybe some kind of rebuttal for Romans 14. But uh, I love you guys. I appreciate you letting me speak. And uh if everybody's good, we'll pray and get out of here. That's fine. All right. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father, for this day, and I thank you for your so many blessings. Father, I thank you for the understanding that I have on Romans. And Father, if it's wrong, I pray that you'd correct me. No matter how you do it, I pray that you'd correct me. And Yahweh, I just give you praise for your only begotten Son today. It's a beautiful day. Everything's Everything's wonderful. Everything is in your hands. You have everything under control, and, and we're not to worry. So, Father, I give you praise for that. I give you praise for the peace and knowing that you, that you are the Almighty and that you don't sleep on the job. Father, no matter what comes our way, no matter what trials or anything else that we endure, Father, we know that you've, that you've got it all worked out in your plan. And like Matthew said, you're just painting a masterpiece. And while we don't, we don't understand it, that's okay. That's okay. Maybe we'll get to see it one day. So, Father, I give you praise today. I give you praise for all these people. I pray for the for the ones that are sick and the ones that are that are hurting. Father, I pray that you give them relief and and um, keep keep the people in this congregation safe. Father, I pray that you'd answer the prayers of the elect and um, keep us from falling in harm's way. And Father, I pray that you keep the adversary away from us. And and um, 
let us not let us not go on our own way, but walk in your ways all all the time, Father. Let us wake up each morning with a desire to serve you and with the thought in our mind of how we could please you that day. Father, we love you so much. I'm so thankful for your son, his work at the at the torture stake, Father. I'm thankful for the blood that was shed for my sins and not only for my sins but for many others. Father, I give you praise for that. I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for all that you've done. I ask all these things in your precious and holy son's name. Amen.